Today's show is sponsored by CBT Nuggets. We know that Cloudcast listeners are curious about technologies, but how are you really learning to master the technologies needed to be a cloud expert? You know, when Aaron and I got started, we had to buy books, set up labs, find experts, and then hope something didn't crash. CBT Nuggets makes it easy to either get hands-on skills or get certified with the latest cloud technologies. Whether it's AWS, Azure, cloud automation, security, or app dev, CBT Nuggets has you covered. What I really liked about CBT Nuggets is the online instructors are both knowledgeable and they keep it interesting. Their courses have built-in test questions, virtual coaching to help plan your certification path, and I can always jump into a virtual lab to get hands-on at any time. Check it out at cbtnuggets.com cloudcast to sign up for a free learner account. This unlocks tons of great training, and you'll be entered into a drawing for a free six-month premium subscription. That's cbtnuggets.com cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Hello and welcome to The Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Just Aaron this week and wanted to start off by saying, I can't believe it's March already. Um, The year is flying by. Uh, We hope everyone is, of course, staying safe, staying healthy, and really looking forward to this year. For Cloud News of the Week, I'm going to dive right in. We have um, a Cloudcast news article, and then we want to talk about uh, an IPO that is coming up, um, how a big vendor did with quarterly results, and lastly, uh, a, a bit of a sad goodbye uh, to uh, some folks that know uh, the electronics industry, uh, certainly on the West Coast. So with that, we're going to jump right in. Um, Cloudcast Basics Season 2 has launched, and it is live. Uh, we did put a trailer in the feed. But if you're interested or if you know anyone that is interested, this is more of a business-focused season. We did put um, uh, about eight shows out there talking about innovation, how cloud can reduce costs, how cloud can reduce risks, create business advantage, trade-offs in architectures, impacts to IT staffs, how you can use cloud to enable business transformation, really trying to hit all angles for business owners. So again, if that is interesting to you or you know someone, go ahead and send them the link. We would love to both get more listens as well as more reviews for Cloudcast Season 2. And with that, jumping into our next story... Good friend of the show, uh, DigitalOcean, and everyone's favorite developer, Cloud, has filed an S1. And I found some interesting things in there, some things we knew and some things I learned as well. Over 570,000 customers in 185 countries, and actually 65% of their revenue is actually international revenue. I found that really fascinating. But they have really been able to find a good market, um, especially being very developer-friendly, very API-driven, and continue to do so. And we, we certainly wish them the best and, and nothing but um, success going forward. For our third story, we wanted to report about Dell and how Dell was doing. They announced financial results for the year and Record revenue, um, $94 billion, with a B, dollars for the year. And 
a couple interesting points I wanted to really talk about in that. Number one, what they call the client solutions group, uh, which is, you know, it's PCs, if, if you want to call it that, and, and moving the units within the PC division. 50 million units during the calendar year. Um, 8% increase year over year. So apparently people are still buying laptops. You know, a lot of folks like to kind of talk about um, people have moved on to other devices, but there are still a very large market out there for laptops. Um, infrastructure group, kind of flat year over year. Um, and of course, VMware is chugging along like VMware always does. And lastly, for our last story, a bit of a, a kind of a sad goodbye, Fry's Electronics uh, kind of closed up shop uh, recently. And um, I finally remember them. I, I wasn't uh, able to get out there that much. They didn't have them here where we are in North Carolina. But, you know, for those of you on the West Coast, uh, certainly a, a staple. Um, and I do remember one of my first visits to Silicon Valley, uh, one of the things I was told was there's two things you need to do. Number one, you need to go to In-N-Out Burger. And number two, you need to visit a Fry's. Um, both of them were, were great. I remember Fry's. Fry's was always a fantastic place to go. Um, if you were out in the area and, you know, I was kind of working IT jobs at the time, if you had to do an install and you forgot a cable, hey, Fry's was always the place to go. So certainly sad uh, to see them move on but um unfortunately our industry has changed and they just weren't able to really transform themselves as they wanted to and have uh, decided that it's best to just not continue going forward and with that we're going to end cloud news of the week and uh, jump on to our main segment today's show is sponsored by cumulo cumulo makes managing file data at massive scale radically simple file data is at the center of the human experience it transforms genomic research into drug therapies, factory logs into machine learning, LIDAR images into maps, and video into entertainment. File data is the currency exchanged in digital classrooms and labs, advancing knowledge and research around the world. Freeing users and the applications that depend on vast amounts of file data is what Cumulo lives for. As the world goes digital with unstructured file data driving human experiences from movies to new vaccines, Cumulo makes it simple for you to store, manage, and create with file data at massive scale, whether it's on-prem or in the cloud. Experience Cumulo's file data platform for free today, cumulo.com slash cloudcast. That's Q-U-M-U-L-O dot com slash cloudcast and try it with your data today. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a cloud-scale monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and traces from technologies like Istio, AppMesh, and Envoy. Plus, Datadog's service map automatically plots out the dependencies in your microservices architectures for seamless, context-rich troubleshooting. With rich visualizations, algorithmic alerting, and more than 250 vendor-supported integrations, Datadog allows you to monitor your distributed applications in real time. Start a free 14-day trial today by visiting datadog.com cloudcast and Datadog will send you a great free t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. And we're back and welcome back to the show. This week, we have a super interesting guest, Shira Shamban, um, which by the way, I can't pronounce, Shira, I can't pronounce your name nearly as coolly as you can. 
But, but you did very well. <laughs> <laughs> but th- thank you for your time today. And we're going to talk a little bit about solving developer security challenges. And um, Shira is CEO of, of Solvo. And let's kind of start a little bit with your background. You have a super interesting background and, and a really interesting journey with cybersecurity that, that started with the um, Israeli Defense Force all the way to CEO of Salvo, newly funded startup. So with that, Shira, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, with pleasure. First of all, thank you, Aaron, for having me today on the show. Uh, it's a great honor. And yes, I would love to tell you more about, about my background and how I turned into cybersecurity because I can tell you that my childhood dream was to become a doctor and uh, not to work in cybersecurity, not to be a CEO of a startup. But as you know, mandatory, uh, like military services is mandatory here in Israel. Everyone goes to the military. And then so did I. And I was drafted to the intelligence. Um, and this is where I learned and was exposed um, to technology and to doing research and to um, making decisions based on data. Uh, and uh, the more I learned and the more I did, the more I was fascinating about it. And one thing led to another, and I stayed uh, way uh, past my mandatory service for a total of 13 years, where I learned a lot about cybersecurity um, and about how different nations work in this domain. Um, And after those 13 years, I decided it was time for me to learn what the real life is like. I had absolutely no idea. You know, you you always hear about different companies, different startups, different tech giants, uh, but you don't really feel that you're a part of it when when you're in the military. And then, you know, I, I was totally shocked and amazed at how things work in real life. I joined a, a cloud security startup named Dome9, uh, where I was, I was creating a new intrusion detection product. Um, Dome9 got acquired a couple of years ago. And this is when, you know, I always felt like I should be an entrepreneur, but I didn't know when is the right time to do that. At the day of the acquisition, I knew that today is the day. Right now is the best time. Uh, it took me a little while longer after that. It took me a little more than a year. Uh, but uh, one year ago, I established Solvo with my co-founder, David, who was also a colleague of mine in Dome9. Uh, and, and we decided to take one of the most popular problems in this domain, in the cloud security domain, uh, the problem of the tension between the software developers and the security teams. This tension is creating a lot of serious security issues. We decided to just solve it for them. It's like two kids not getting along, so you just take their toy away. So we take their security problems away and solve them for, for these two personas. And that's a fantastic introduction into uh, <laughs> our topics today because, yeah, it's it's a really good way to think about it. I mean... At at the start, th- this rise of of CI/CD um, created some amazing benefits to software development, um, but at the same time, I, I I think it's safe to say it did that at the cost of creating some 
some security challenges, right? So let's start there. Why why developers why do developers um, seem to have so many challenges today uh, with security, especially in production environments? Um, so I th- first of all, let's say that I think that the problems are not unique or especially in the dev environments. We as security practitioners are forced to put more efforts into production because it's more sensitive in the sense that it contains real data. We have our customers uh, using our application in production. So we, when you do your, uh, when you do the math and you have to decide uh, where to protect more, you obviously protect production first. Not always you have enough resources to protect the pre-production environments. Um, a couple of years ago, a very large uh, a company named Imperva uh, got hacked in its staging environment in the cloud. Uh, the developers had real data of customers in the staging as well, uh, but they didn't protect it as much as they protected the production environment. So this is why we should be paying attention to all of our environments from the local from, from the dev, from the QA, all the way to uh, staging and production. Now, uh, when, when we moved to the cloud, the developers uh, uh, got the, the keys to the kingdom. They were given uh, AWS account or, or Azure accounts, or, you know, depends on, on your cloud vendor. And what developers really want to do is run fast. They want to write code they want to deploy it. They want to see it running. Um, they don't really care about everything around. They don't care on what kind of machine are you running your code. Is it the best or ideal machine to be running your code on? And they don't care enough about how secured the code and the application are. It's usually being regarded as, as, as a task they don't want to do. And when they get a, an email or a, any kind of notification from the security team, they roll their eyes like, what's now? What do they want from me? Um, this is not a task they like to do, and I understand them. They don't have enough knowledge. They don't have enough, enough experience. And basically, they're not held accountable for it. They are measured on delivering code, deploying the next feature, and making sure the product is working. They're not held accountable for security. So they are not putting enough efforts into that. Uh, but unfortunately, security is, is a very important part of our products. Uh, I, I guess it's a, it has the second priority after having a working product. You want to have a working, secured product. Um, and, and they were forced to deliver some security. They don't want to deliver security because they don't know how to do it. And then, you know, you have that tension that I was talking about. And I, you know, I think anybody who's been in this background, you know, when you mentioned previously about, oh, the security person kind of comes along and, and I, I, a number of our listeners probably got smiles on their faces when, about that. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we've kind of grown into this culture of, of, okay, there's DevOps. And then increasingly we hear about DevSecOps now. And, and there's also um, a term uh, introduced called shifting left. And right. Tell us a little bit, Shira, um, what does that mean and how does that relate to the larger concept of DevSecOps? So we expect uh, the shifting left to happen, or at least we hope for it to happen from, from the 
design of the product, even before we started writing a single line of code. When we talk about how it should be working and what kind of architecture do we want, this is actually when we should uh, be talking about how to make it secured as well. Unfortunately, today in the age of the cloud, people really care about delivering fast. So the design part is actually being done uh, uh, while coding uh, on the fly. Uh, so we don't really stop to think about uh, uh, the big architecture of the product, especially when we, you're talking about the smaller companies, the startups that are actually building a product from scratch and not, you know, creating a new feature in a very uh, large and existing product. Um, so, so when we talk about shifting left, we talk about starting the design of the security very early on and not uh, fixing issues in a working product in production. Now, as we shift left, we we have to start working with the developers and making sure that the code that they deliver to us is actually a very secured kind of code. Now, today, when we're in the cloud, uh, all of a sudden, the infrastructure, the cloud infrastructure is actually a part of the application, it's no longer, you know, the developer writing a piece of code and then handing it over to the IT manager to deploy it uh, in the on-prem um, data center. Now the developer is actually uh, running their own um, uh, cloud infrastructure. They can decide on what kind of machine do they want to write uh, this new piece of code. Are you using Docker? Are you using uh, uh, EKS, ECS, uh, Lambda functions? What kind of infrastructure are you using? And, and where do you want to run your code? So, so the developers are making decisions around IT, around the infrastructure, and where the code is going to run. Um, and they're not making those decisions based on, you know, the security requirements or they're not really taking that into consideration. And they don't understand the pros and cons of creating a serverless application or creating a, a container. So as security practitioners, um, we, we understood that we actually have to help the developers but we need to stop trying to help them in the old way. The old way would be, uh, you know, creating some, some kind of scanner and then giving them a long list of uh, fuck-ups they have to fix. <laughs> That's or perfect, yes. Yep. Here is the list of all the CVEs that we found here. Here is the list of the OWASP top 10 vulnerabilities that we found here. And then good luck to you uh, fixing that. The developer is looking at the list saying, uh, what? Like, I, I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to prevent SQL injection, which is like, you know, one of the vulnerabilities I would really expect not to see ever, ever, ever again, but <laughs> they're so easily found in the wild. Um, so that's like super trivial, but it still happens. And sometimes... Go ahead, yeah, go ahead, please, go ahead. <laughs> sometimes I, you know... I, I meet developers here and there, and I ask them, like, out of pure curiosity, can you explain to me how do you make sure that you are preventing an SSRF attack in your web application? Can you explain to me how are you uh, validating the input in your application? And, and very often they look at me, th those terms that I'm using are not strange to them, but this is not really a part of their a code writing process. 
So they are aware of these attack vectors or these vulnerabilities, but thinking about how writing a clean and secure code is not really a part of their uh, routine. And it's a problem, but I think that we should stop trying to solve this problem in the old way. The new way has to be, listen, you guys, I know you don't know how to do it, so please let me help you and take this off of your plate instead of, listen, let me give you a training about this. And that's a perfect segue into Solvo. Um, so let's talk about Solvo for, for just a little bit. Um, how does Solvo solve uh, this problem as code being pushed and, and how do you integrate with the cloud providers and, and tell everyone a little bit about this concept of a, of a least privilege model and how it is implemented? Sure. So, so the cloud providers uh, put up this term of a least privileged principle. This is them actually telling us, listen, when you give permissions, give the most minimal ones uh, that you that you can give that would still make your application uh, functional. This is being a part of, of the shared responsibility model. The cloud providers are telling us, listen, we're responsible for the bare metals, but everything that happens after is your responsibility. Um, the, the security in the cloud is not done anymore on the network layer as it used to be in the on-prem days. Today we do security um, in the IAM, Identity and Access Management. And that mechanism allows us to describe very, very specifically what kind of security permissions do we want to give to each and every component or asset that we have in the cloud. Um, and we should create that security permission to be least privileged. We should only allow it uh, to execute uh, the specific actions that it needs in order to be functional. Um, so, so this is the, the least privilege um, principle. And uh, when we hit the road, David and I, uh, the first thing we did was actually go and talk to, to cloud users in, in different parts of the organization, from developers to DevOps to the CISO and the CISO team. We wanted to hear about their experience because obviously they each experience the cloud in a different way. The developers love it. They love running it. They love accelerating uh, in the cloud. And the security team is just trying to make sure they don't have any open uh, S3 buckets. Um, so they each see it from a different perspective. And we wanted to hear about their problems and how, how they see them. And, and once we realized everyone is talking to us, about how to make sure the infrastructure and the application are secured from development all the way to production, from the left to the right, um, we realized that this is a serious problem that affects everyone. And then we went to look at what other products exist in the market or what is the, the approach that the market has right now. And we realized that most solutions are focused in the development um, uh, stage and are the same type of solution that I mentioned before that just gives you a long list of findings or risks or alerts that you then have to go and remediate. And, and we thought to ourselves, well, this is unfortunate. We don't want to be in, a, in the stage of, of remediation, especially not in production. Let's try to prevent it before we mitigate it. 
Um, so this is why we, we understood we have to do that shifting left. If you want to solve the problem as early as possible, let's try to actually do the design in a most secured way. Um, so we realized uh, that we have to shift it left and that we have to talk to developers. And this is, this is something that not uh, every uh, security product wants to do. Talking to developers, this is a tough crowd, talking to developers. They're very sarcastic. Um, they, they don't want you to bother their uh, current workflow. They think they know better than everyone else. Um, so we knew we have to be very, very gentle with them. And and you, it's really fascinating, sure, because, yeah, because at the end of the day, um, this idea of prevention and mitigation is in a lot of times in direct contrast with the, the go fast nature of developers without a doubt. And in addition to everything we just talked about, you um, recently released uh, a security health tech health check tool for cloud accounts to as an additional layer or an additional tool in the toolbox for this prevention and, and, and mitigation. Can you Talk about that a little bit as well. Absolutely. So we call this tool the Security Genie. That's your little helper uh, in the cloud. We wanted to give um, the cloud users the opportunity to get um, a report that would tell them uh, about the major misconfigurations that they have in the cloud. So in that uh, Security Genie report, we're going to point out at the you know the use of admin permissions, or uh, the use of full access permissions, which again are, th there isn't really a good reason to be using these kind of permissions. Don't use the full access, give the specific access that is necessary. So we point out at the usage of, of these kind of permissions. And we also point out at the third parties uh, that you uh, gave access to in your account. Because obviously, again, in the cloud era, uh, we, we have a lot of integrations with other third-party uh, vendors. This is very, very common practice. Should be done carefully. You should be always should always be aware of who you gave your API keys to. But, but assuming that you already did that, you should always know who has them and maybe revoke them if they're unnecessary. So we will also list those th third parties to you. And then give you give you the list again of, of of the specific cloud assets and specific roles in your account that are misconfigured. So it's really up to you to decide if you want to solve all of them, if you want to solve some of them. But this is something that we give uh, every user for free, uh, so that uh, as a security practitioner you would know uh, where you stand and if there are very crucial things you should be handling and solving. Um, after, after people run that scan, they can uh, later use the Solvo freemium product um, that actually checks the specific security policies that you're using, be, be it the admin or the full access, or even if you created um, security policies yourself, we go over them and we actually create new security policies from scratch uh, that specifically suit and fit your cloud application. So we help you become least privileged automatically because as I know, uh, the cloud users, they don't have the time to craft 
a security policy that is least privileged for their own application. This is why they use uh, very uh, generic policies, and this is exactly how they get exploited and and then you know being hacked. Yep, yep, yep. That's that's fantastic. Thank you, Shira. Now let's shift gears um, for a second because there's another topic here that is really fascinating to me and I think will be to the listeners as well. Um, you know, we, we've talked to a lot of startups over the years and times have changed um, when it comes to venture funding um, as well as raising rounds of money. Um, so um, your first round of funding was recently raised completely remotely. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience and, and some of the challenges you faced and, and were there any advantages to it as well? Absolutely. So honestly, when we thought about all the unexpected things that could happen to us uh, while you know working on a new startup, uh, we did not think about a world pandemic. We thought about you know having a lousy idea, uh, we thought about not finding the right customers. We definitely did not think about this. And as we started meeting investors, you know, we we met investors last year face-to-face for one or two meetings. And then people started talking about this disease uh, and started meeting less and less. And they didn't even switch meetings to Zoom. They just stopped meeting because... You know, no one knew if this is the end of the world uh, and what is exactly going on here. So, so people just people just stopped meeting, and we were worried that maybe you know we made the worst decision of our lives. Maybe we shouldn't we shouldn't have left our jobs and you know went all in with this new new startup. Um, but we we never stopped believing in our idea um, and in in the need to solve this problem. So we kept on meeting as many investors as we could, pitching them our our idea. And we ended up, at this point, we were already doing that over Zoom. And uh, one of the investors uh, from TLV Partners actually thought that this might be very interesting. He was also very impressed by us being very determined uh, to, to raise money even in this very weird situation. Uh, definitely the, the, the advantage in raising money during these weird times is the fact that we could meet quite a lot of investors in a short period of time. I'm sure that in normal times, just running through all of these meetings could have taken us, uh, you know, triple the time. Sure. Because... We have to drive from one place to another. We have to prepare. You know, sometimes you are fortunate enough to meet investors from from abroad. We didn't have to travel anywhere. We did all the talks from from the living room. Um, so that was pretty amazing. The entire process was really fast. Once uh, we had a good click with TLV Partners and, and with the partner who invested in us, uh, things went really fast. Um, so if, if I have one message to, to people who wish to be entrepreneurs and are worried about the fundraising part, just do it. Just go and talk to as many people as you can um, and have those uh, Zoom meetings. It's very difficult, but uh, it's not impossible 
to create uh, the rapport, that closeness uh, over Zoom. It's not the same as, you know, looking to someone in the eyes, but you can definitely do that uh, on camera as well. Yeah. Thank you, Cher. That's fantastic insight. And I think it mirrors a lot of uh, what a lot of us have, have gone through and, and facing the challenges. Um, now, um, you talked about, about passion and, and, and kind of perseverance and drive during the fundraising. Um, last topic, and then we'll, we'll let you go. Um, you're also very passionate about empowering women and underrepresented communities in our industry as well. So tell us a little bit about your ongoing partnerships with um, SheCodes, Cyber Ladies, and other mentoring programs you're involved with as well. With pleasure. Um, a few years ago, when I was still in the military, I was asked uh, by, by a local conference to give them a talk about cybersecurity. And I thought to myself, who am I to be speaking at a conference? I mean, do I know enough to talk about it? Uh, so initially I decided to say no, but um, I don't know, I, I ran into an article uh, uh, that uh, the topic was, why aren't there more women in cybersecurity? And the answer was that there aren't that many uh, women who are role models. So other women just assume that this is not uh, the right domain for them because obviously there aren't other women in that domain. And I decided that at least in this small topic, I can probably help. And I decided to, to be out there as much as I can to help other women to see that they can definitely do that. If they want to go into cybersecurity, here, look at me. I'm there, so you can join me if you want. Um, and this is why I, I take a lot of my time to talk and mentor either one-on-one -on -one or in larger groups uh, to women and other communities who want to get into STEM, who want to get into cybersecurity, who want to get into computer science, uh, because it's really important to give an example it's really important to show them that they can. Very often in, in school, in high school, uh, they got the message either verbally or not verbally that um, math or physics or chemistry is not really for them. Uh, and, and we have to change this reality. It's, it's changing uh, step by step. And I think that uh, all of us, by the way, men and women alike can help uh, to make a difference and to deliver that message that, uh, you know, we are here for you and you can do it. And we would definitely love to help you, uh, you know, make the most out of yourself. Uh, I also started um, another mentoring uh, program called Security Diva for women who want to get into cybersecurity, uh, where they can actually meet mentors and, and talk to them about, you know, career, about uh, studying, about be whatever that is, just, just to help them get started. And last year, I was taking an elevator in the office and I saw a familiar face. I was trying to remember what was that lady's face. Um, and she saw, I was looking at her and she reached to me and said, hey, I remember you from the mentoring meetup. And I said, yes, I remember you too. How are you? What are you doing here? And she said, listen, I got my first job here. And I was like, wow, I'm so happy for you. You have to come to the group and tell everyone how you did it. And she, she shared a very, very impressive and inspirational story with everyone. 
So I think that, you know, every step you take, you have no idea how you're going to influence other people's lives. Um, so if anyone here is listening, don't be shy, reach out, help to someone, uh, because you have no idea what one sentence could, could change for them. Yep. That's fantastic. That's a great story. Thank you so much. Um, and what we'll do for everyone is we'll have links, um, to those programs in the show notes as well. So, um, sure. That's about, um, the time we have for today. So just wanted to say thank you very much for your time. And in closing, is there, um, anywhere, um, you recommend everyone follow you, follow the company, um, uh, above and beyond the links that we'll have in the show notes. Uh, yeah, you can definitely reach out to us or to me on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Uh, we're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Fantastic. And so with that, um, on behalf of Brian, who wasn't able to make it this week, Shira, thank you very much for your time. And to the listeners, thank you very much for your time this week. And we'll uh, look forward to uh, talking to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.